And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get the athletic for $1 a month for six months. It's the playoffs. We're in the middle of a pretty tasty first round, and you need to go get yourself an athletic subscription. With me, as always, is my good friend, Alex Spears. And Alex, we're joined by Nikaius Duncan. He's a writer at basketballnews.com and a co-host of the Dunker Spot podcast. Nikaius, what's up, man? Hello, hello. How are y'all? Doing good. good. Thanks. Thanks for joining, man. Uh, really looking forward to this. Been looking forward to it for the last few days. Uh, after a week of playoff basketball, what series or team or player even has surprised you the most compared to how you were feeling going into the playoffs? Um, I would say very impressed with what Tyrese Maxey has been able to do. I think I'm kind of I'm tied with Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris. Hmm. And more so Tobias Harris, because he was someone that I pinpointed in this Raptors uh, Sixer series. And for full, full transparency, I picked Raptors in seven before the series. I am going to be taking a big L on that one, so that's fun. <laughs> but uh, but one of the things I was concerned about in regards to the field, it was like, okay, how decisive is Tobias Harris going to be? Because Toronto is going to switch a ton. That's going to flatten out some of what Philly wants to do in the offense. And in terms of Joel Embiid, they're going to send a bunch of double teams towards him. They're going to shade a bunch of help towards him. So a lot of the kickouts are going to go to Tobias Harris. We know he can shoot. We know he can score. But he also has this tendency throughout his career to where he'll catch it, hold it, survey the floor, and now whatever advantage was created is going to be gone. So I was kind of keeping an eye on, like, okay, how quick is he going to shoot? How quick is he going to drive? And he's been nailing that stuff through three games yeah. of the series. So I've been super impressed with that. And once you have that going with Tyrese Maxey losing his mind and Joel Embiid being dominant, Toronto hasn't really had a great answer to slow down everyone. Mm-hmm. So the Sixers went up 3-0 on the Raptors this week in very dramatic fashion with Joel Embiid hitting that game-winning three in overtime. And one of the major questions coming into the playoffs was the play of James Harden, who had a really disappointing end of the regular season. And through three games, Harden's scoring remains down, but Philly hasn't really needed his scoring with the way that Maxie and Tobias, as you just mentioned, have played. Uh, how do you think Harden has looked so far in this playoffs? He's looked pretty solid to me. Um, the scoring still isn't where you would like it to be. But I've also just been kind of confused by Toronto's plan with him. Mm-hmm. Because one of the biggest reasons I picked Toronto to win the series, like I'm not sure how healthy James Harden is going to be. Um, I feel like I kind of undersold what the week of rest would do for him in the early mm-hmm. portion of the series. But I was just like, okay, this is what he's looked like. The burst hasn't been there. 
the rim attempts have looked bad. It's been a lot of him getting to, even when he does get to the rim, it's flailing the arms and trying to draw fouls versus trying to convert. And I was really concerned. And through the first two and a half games of the series, at least, Toronto's sending aggressive help towards him on drives. And it's just playing into his hand as a playmaker. I'm just like, why are you making life easier for Harden? Like, he hasn't really answered the question for me. But with the way that he's been defended up until like the second half of game three, he hasn't had to answer that because Toronto is just gifting him kickouts. And again, that goes back into Tyrese, Tyrese Maxey attacking closeouts and bombing away from three. Tobias Harris doing that. Danny Green knocking out timely shots. And so Harden has <laughs> kind of get taken what the Raptors have given him. Um, they did shift their plan in game three where it was more single coverage. And he's been able to beat Gary Trent Jr. off the dribble. He's been able to beat Fred Van Bleed off the dribble, and Fred is really laboring out there with the knee. That's concerning. The minute load is really caught up to him. But I would say it's been a, a B series, B-plus series for James Harden. Like, you want the scoring to be better, but he's done his job otherwise. So we're going to jump around to a few different series, and I want to go next to the Jazz Mavs because we were recording on Friday. It's the day after – Utah lost to Dallas at home to go down 1-2 in that series, and it was a familiar scene because Dallas hit 18 threes. They outscored Utah by 27 points from beyond the three-point line. During that game, Rudy Gobert got into foul trouble. Snyder opted to go small with Eric Pascal. Utah made a run and were at plus nine during his minutes. Do you think Utah potentially found something with that small lineup, or was it more of a product of Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell also being in foul trouble at the same time? Um, I think it's more of the latter. I will say if Dallas is going to be this comfortable switching and flattening out Utah's offense, and if we're going to get the combination of Rudy Gobert not sealing his man or his guards just not looking at him, sometimes both things happen mm-hmm. on the same position, then you might as well have a guy that can theoretically shoot out there. Like right. I can see the argument for going smaller in that regard, but also like I don't really trust Eric Pascal in this series. Like, I don't think that's going to be something that you can depend on. Like, I think the the solution, if Utah is to get back into the series, is to figure out the Rudy Gobert thing on both ends of the floor. Uh, as my co-host Steve Jones Jr. referenced on our last episode, like, Dallas is not only putting him in tough help positions. They're now moving him around the chessboard. He's His guy's in the corner sometimes. His guy's in the wing sometimes. And now it's, okay, am I supposed to help? If I do help, do I trust the guys behind me to rotate behind that? And it's just been a whole bunch of confusion there. So I think they need to tighten up their rotations more than anything. Um, It was nice for them to get the bump with Eric Pascal out there. Um, They've needed to find a small ball unit all year long. And so if that does begin, if that does become a thing, that's a positive for you. But ultimately, I think the issue is more so with the starters. Like they need to figure that out. And that kind of leads into my next question, because I saw something in that game that I didn't actually believe I was seeing until someone else mentioned it. It was Dan Clayton, who's a writer at Salt City Hoops. He tweeted during the game that what was most frustrating to him about the Jazz is that their terrible perimeter defense seemed to magically improve when Gobert or Whiteside were not on the floor. Dallas was still scoring, but you weren't seeing blowbys on every single play. How do you explain that? Because are the perimeter defenders really incapable of playing defense, or is it like a byproduct of a scheme thing where they've been used to funneling opponents to go bear. And so then they forget how to play defense when he's on the court. Like, what is it? Like, I think it's more so on the perimeter defenders. I think Rudy and Hassan Whiteside complicate things because as Dallas spaces those guys to the corner and they're not able to comfortably help around the rim. I think that force, again, that kind of triggers the rotations behind it. And the rotations I feel like have been worse than 
whatever Rudy's doing. Because you can kind of argue, like, there was a possession in game two that I pointed out and wrote about where he helps down on the drive, but he's helping down from the strong side corner. And that's typically a big no-no for NBA defenses because you're leaving a shooter there. It's, a, it's just a more open look for the offense. And so you have those where it's like, okay, Rudy, I understand why you're helping down, but you shouldn't have based on the scheme. But ultimately, it, I don't want to be reductive, but it's just a mess right now. Like, I think it's a lot, a lot of it is just like Donovan Mitchell, as good of a player as he is, he has been beaten like a drum this entire series. Yeah. And so you don't have to get to, hey, should Hassan help here? Should Rudy Gobert help here? If he could contain the ball. To a lesser extent, that's the, uh, Mike Conley. Daniel House, for him to be dubbed as a three and D guy in Houston, how many lapses is this dude going to have? Mm-hmm. And he isn't doing a great job of containing the ball either. And then you have poor Royce O'Neal, who's their best perimeter defender. You put him on a guard, that's not his ministry. And so everything is just kind of in flux from the top. And now you're asking these big men, like Rudy Gobert, again, one of the best defense players in the league, he's in tough spots. So if he can't figure it out, you probably shouldn't expect Hassan Whiteside to do that when right. he's pretty right. much a drop defender or a bust and has been since his Miami days. So it's I still lean more towards the perimeter defense being a mess. So in that respect, is it unsolvable? Like, is this really a fatal flaw that they just will not be able that they just cannot adjust to in any way? Like there I don't know if there's a scheme fix for it. Because Utah has gotten switchier as the series has gone on because Dallas is not even, and this is another thing that my co-host Steve Jones Jr. said, Dallas isn't even running like intricate sets anymore. It's just, all right, let's get a high, let's get a high screen. We're going to force a mismatch. And then we're just going to drive past this dude and see where the help's going to come from. And then we'll play out of that. And so it really just, again, it's going to sound a little reductive. It really is just going to boil down to playing better. Like they just have to tighten yeah. up the containment and if they can't do that at the very least tighten up the rotations know which guy is dropping down who's zoning up behind that who's exiting out behind that like that can come with film and this core has played together long enough to where they should be able to figure that out so like it isn't completely dead there is a fix again it's just playing better my faith level in utah is done i've seen enough like i was i headed into the postseason i was going to pick dallas in seven and then the Luka Doncic news dropped. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going Utah in six. If they're not going to have Luka, I think they'll be able to figure this out. And now Dallas is up 2-1. And they have all the momentum, it looks like. Utah has been throwing up all over themselves for three games. I don't need mm-hmm. to see anymore. Yeah. It's very, it was like very much a vibe check for me with Utah before I picking the series. Like, do I really believe in this Utah mm-hmm. team? Like, that's what it came down to. Even even though it was like going to be a Jalen Brunson led Dallas team, there was just something about. I was like, I guess I trust that a little bit more, which seems weird. Like, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem right. Uh, let's bounce over to this suddenly interesting Bucks Bulls series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned this week that Chris Middleton is out for the rest of the Bucks' first-round series against the Bulls with the sprained MCL. Uh, in your playoff preview, you had pinpointed Middleton's offense and how he'd respond to pesky defenders as the key thing to watch for now. Uh, now that they don't have Middleton anymore, and per cleaning the glass in the first two games against Chicago, Milwaukee scored 81 points per 100 possessions in the half court, which is worst <laughs> among playoff teams. Uh do you think the Bulls should now be favored in this series, or do you still have confidence that the Bucks can figure something out when they were already struggling with Middleton in the lineup? Um, 
I definitely understand the case for favoring Chicago at this point, especially what, what we saw in their most recent game. I would still lean towards my uh, Milwaukee in this one. They do still have Giannis, and Giannis had an uncharacteristically bad defensive showing in game mm-hmm. two. I don't think we see that again. And as far as Milwaukee's half-court offense goes, a lot of that is <laughs> process stuff. And this is stuff that annoyed me during the playoff run last year. It's like, okay, why? There was a play that I did a breakdown on in my timeline. It's like, okay, you're posting up Giannis. You run a good set and get him an advantage on the left block. Why is Javon Carter one pass away? If you know, <laughs> I saw your screenshot of that. It was like, yeah. I'm just like, if you know Chicago is going to double team anytime Giannis gets a post up or an ISO, and credit to Chicago because they have been nailing the double teams. Sometimes yeah. it's coming right on the catch, sometimes it's coming right on the move. They're rotating behind it, they're forcing turnover. Chicago did their job in game two. But if you know this is the game plan for Chicago, why are you putting your worst shooter directly beside your star and making it easier for you to double team? And this is a lot of what Milwaukee did last year until they finally figured it out towards the end of the net series. And then in the finals, they were able to just kind of get it rolling. I was hoping that that latter portion of the playoff road would just kind of carry over. And through two games, they've been kind of a mess on offense. So I do think there's enough low hanging fruit there. Um, they will either start Bobby Portis or they'll start one of their smaller guards. So the spacing, I don't think is going to take too much of a dip. You're going to miss that shot creation, but if they just space their players in a better way, Giannis should still be able to have his way in this series. Like I still would pick Milwaukee to win it, but it's really going to boil down to, it's going to boil down to their process. Like, are they going to do smart things and put their best player in position to succeed? Hmm. Let's uh, bounce over to Boston, Brooklyn. The nets are down Oh two in the series. But it's taken a last-second shot and uncharacteristically bad games from KD and Kyrie to get there. Brian Lewis from the New York Post noted that this is the first time in KD's career that he shot under 40% and committed six-plus turnovers in consecutive games. When a team is guarding KD as effectively as Boston has been, what is the counter? Like, How can Nash help get KD going in Game 3, or is it just a matter of him making his shots? Because... I went back and rewatched those 17 attempts from game two. Yes, there weren't a lot of easy attempts, but there were also a lot of shots you'd normally expect KD to make. Um, Honestly, I feel like this is more of a KD thing than a Nash thing. Okay. It's as ISO heavy as the Nets can get. It's not like their offense is inbound the ball, walk up, isolation for the next 20 seconds. Like they're not doing that. They are running a lot of their usual sets. Like they're running the scissor stuff with KD and Kyrie. They're running KD from the baseline, receiving a screen. Like they are running, they are doing things with KD. Boston is doing a fantastic job of being physical early. And then when KD is making this move, they're being physical when they switch. It's not just a soft switch. They are bumping him as they switch to Simon. So he can't really get a crease. And then when he does get the ball, they're showing help early at the nail. Like they're restricting space from there. And so I feel like there are with the way with the way that Boston is helping on these KD actions, there are avenues for kickouts for KD that he missed a ton of in game two. He missed some in game one as well, but in game two was pretty egregious. And the same thing for Kyrie. Like there were a lot of contested shots that he took with Seth Curry chilling on the wing wide open with Bruce Brown, which that's more so by design, but Bruce Brown's open in the corner and Bruce Brown had a good shooting game in game two. Like you don't want to ride the, you don't want to ride the high end of that degree. Like, Hey, take 13 threes for us. But if it's a Bruce Brown corner three versus Kyrie attacking the drop with a guy helping from the strong side and a guy at the nail, and it's basically three guys in the area contesting the shot. Like, yeah, swing that to Bruce Brown, see if he can knock down another shot or drive since he's been so much of a short roll monster for them this season. 
make life easier for yourself. Like, I feel like this is on the players to execute, trust their guys, read the floor better, more so than Nash just, like, sitting on his hands. Right. Okay. Let's move over to Phoenix, New Orleans, where we have just more devastating news. Devin Booker, who could miss up to two to three weeks with a hamstring strain. Uh, Cam Johnson is expected to start in his place, and you wrote an article on basketballnews.com detailing how Phoenix attacked New Orleans after Booker went out, much of it coming off of ball screens from Chris Paul. Um, Outside of Chris, who on the Suns do you think is most critical to their success with Booker out against the Pelicans? Um, I think this is going to go to Cam Johnson, who's probably going to replace Booker in a lot of the pick-and-roll sets that they run. He's a very good movement shooter. He's not going to be Devin Booker, but at the very least, he can still stretch your defense in that way. And it's going to be a DeAndre Aiden. Like, I think he's going to be the guy that's really going to force um, New Orleans to change their defensive coverage. Because we did see more switching from Larry Nash Jr. when they went small. And when JV was in the game, they went from the drop with him to now basically blitzing ball screens with him. And so it's going to be up to Aiden if he does get switches and they're going to switch Larry Nash Jr. out on to Chris Paul or whatever. He's going to have to mash those guys down low, get to the line, convert it to rim. If they're going to play high, he's going to have to nail some short roll decisions. I think there was a clip in the article that you referenced in which they did show high with JV. You get a short roll pass to DeAndre Ayton and he kicks it out to Cam Johnson for a corner and for a three in the right corner. And so he has to nail those things. And from there, like I think Phoenix still has enough to be able to kind of bend New Orleans' defense and they should be okay. Mm hmm. So uh, this is a non-playoff question, but it, it, it was just announced. We are recording on Friday morning, so I thought I'd get your thoughts. We learned today that James Borrego has been fired by the Charlotte Hornets. I was w- just wondering if that surprised you, what you thought of the job Borrego had done in Charlotte these past couple of years. Um, it didn't surprise me. Like, any time a team disappoints in two straight playoff with an asterisk play-in situations, I guess, like, yeah. the coach is going to be the first guy to roll especially if there isn't an easy answer on the roster to trade. And so I'm not surprised he was gone. I don't like it. Like, I think this is more of a personnel issue than anything for Charlotte. Like, they just don't have a strong defensive infrastructure. And James Borrego tried. Like, no team in the NBA ran more zone than James Borrego over the last two years. Like, they've jumped it up. And not just a 2-3. Like, they're pressing into a zone. They did a lot of funky stuff on defense to hide the fact that they did not have an elite rim protector. They did not have elite point of attack defenders. And even with the guys that have the wing, like Cody Martin is a is a good defender. If Cody Martin is your best perimeter defender, you have a problem. Yeah. If you're relying on and if you're relying on Kelly Oubre to supplement that, he can do some good things for you on the ball. Yeah. Run a screen or two and see if he can stay attached. It's a problem. And I'm not sure what you wanted James Borrego to do with that. You don't yeah. want your team to get embarrassed in playing. Like losing in the play-in is one thing, getting embarrassed in two straight outings. Like that's I understand why that's a bad thing to hit. But give him some defensive pieces to work with. Like Charlotte has gotten better in his tenure. Your young guys have gotten better. And so I say this just purely from the on court. Like if there's behind the scenes stuff or there's player X doesn't like Borrego and that's a big thing. Like obviously you just have to you have to curate your roster and build it from there. But strictly for what we saw on the court from him, Borrego shouldn't be out of this job. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, last question. Based on what you've seen in the first week of the playoffs, what potential second-round matchup gets you most excited? Ooh. Heat Sixers. Online yeah, no. toxicity plus really good basketball. Like, I think right. that's <laughs> – <laughs> It doesn't get much better than that. That, look, that looks like that's where it's going. 
we're going to see is Jimmy Butler against Philly. It's Bam and Joel Embiid. It's James Hart. Like we've seen Trey Young get Kyle Lowry, Caleb Martin, PJ Tucker, Jimmy Butler, Gabe Vincent. James Harden's going to see a host of bodies, which means Tyrese Maxey's probably also going to get a host of bodies. Like that's just going to be a fun chess match. And these teams are just, the team fan bases do not like each other. <laughs> and so I can just imagine what the whistle is going to be like. Jimmy Butler likes to get to the line quite a bit. We know what Joel Embiid and James Harden can do. That's just going to be an annoying, skilled bloodbath of a series. I'm ready for that one. This is going to be great. Well, thanks, Nikias. Thanks for answering our questions. That was awesome. Uh, we are now going to do a playoff draft. So this is after the first week of the playoffs. See how we feel about teams in terms of uh, who we think is going to win the championship. So how this works, this is a snake draft. It's me, Nikias, and Andrew. Nikias, you can go first. You get the first pick and the uh, sixth pick, or you could go second. You could go third. I'm going to let you pick where you want to uh, go in this playoff draft. What would you like? Um, Actually, let me go third. Okay. So Nikias has chosen third because this is a snake draft, which means Nikias will get the third and fourth pick. Now, Andrew, I'll let you pick next uh, since I'm being nice. Where would you like to go? Uh, I'll go first. Okay, Andrew. So Andrew's going to go first. I will go second, and Nikias will go third. So I uh, have shared my screen. You guys can see it. You can see the teams that are available. We're only going to do four rounds, so we're only going to pick 12 of the 16 teams. That will mean that we leave four teams off. I have an idea on three of them, but I'm interested to see who the fourth one is. Uh, so, Andrew, why don't you start us off? Right now, a week into the playoffs, Who, if you had to pick a team to win the NBA championship, who would you go with? Uh, still give me Phoenix. Still I, going I still with think, Phoenix. Wow. Yeah, I still like I still like the Suns. Their their depth is there. I think that they'll get past New Orleans and hopefully have a little bit of downtime for Booker to to get back. And if he's back and healthy, to me, they're the strong favorite. Okay, well that's this is an easy pick for me. I'm so glad they fell to two. I am going with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, we're now up 3-0. I, I still feel like there's more ceiling there for Golden State as Steph slowly works his way back, so I'm just feeling really good. We got a healthy Draymond. Like, everything yep. seems to be clicking right now. Yes, Denver maybe isn't, like, the best matchup to reveal what flaws might be there, but mm -hmm. I have a feeling this series is going to end quickly, and if I can get a little help from the Wolves to push that Memphis series a little bit longer, I'm going to feel even better. So I'm going with Golden State, which means, Nikias, you now have the third and fourth picks. Who would you like? Uh, this actually set up pretty nicely. I was hoping that Phoenix was going to slide because I do think they're going to be able to get past New Orleans, and I think they'll be okay later on in the postseason. Um, but I'm cool. Uh, one, let me go ahead and take Boston okay, as okay. the best defense in the NBA right now, as Jason Tatum has ascended, as Jalen Brown is playing well, Marcus Smart playing well. Like They just have the juice on both ends of the floor right now. And as for the next pick, give me – Oh, man. I'll go with Milwaukee still. Wow. Milwaukee. Still have faith. I do still have faith. And it's also a little bit of strategy on my end. Because if Milwaukee's able to get by Chicago, they're going to face Boston. I'm not sure what the status of Robert Williams is. Um, yeah. If he'll be back for that second round series or when he'll come back. And I do think Giannis still poses such a unique threat to Boston with their interior defense. Mm -hmm. Especially with Robert Williams out. Like Giannis can still eat. 
and if they do get healthy, like I still like them in these. So I'll go Milwaukee and Boston. So I'm kind of hedging my bets here. It's fine. Ooh, so I, I could go with Memphis, which gar- which if I think Memphis is going to win their first round series, it would guarantee me a spot in the Western Conference Finals because I already have Golden State. So that'd, that'd be nice yeah. for me. Um, I think I'm going to go Philly, though. <laughs> I'm going to go Philly because they're up 3-0. I'm feeling confident they're going to second round. I like the matchup with – I spelled Philadelphia wrong. I like the matchup with Miami. Um, and with the way things are going with the Bucks right now, I just feel like the path to the finals has kind of set up nicely for Philly. I mean, I was most worried about this first-round series with Toronto going into it. And yeah. now that they've proven themselves there, if we see an improved Harden the rest of the playoffs, which we – like as Nikaias mentioned, we still don't really know in terms of his scoring ability – um, I feel pretty good about Philly. So I'm going to go Philly with my second pick. Now, Andrew, you get two picks in a row. Who would you like? Still a lot of good names on the board. Mm-hmm. You fools. You absolute <laughs> fools. Give me the Miami Heat. <laughs> there you oh, are. everybody's just sleeping on the Heat all year long. Still sleeping. This team is strong. They've got, obviously, you got Heat culture working for you. You've got a, a champion and Kyle Lowry leading the way. Uh, they've got good depth. They've got shooting. I think this Miami Heat team. I don't know if we're just bored with them. Like, what's the deal? Like, why? Why do? Why do we think that no one talks about this Miami Heat team? They're just maybe not as fun to talk about. I don't know. What is it? It's. I'm not sure why they don't get talked about much. Like, full disclosure, I was hoping Miami was going to slide. I was trying to decide, like, is Milwaukee going to slide more or Miami's going to slide more? Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, I'm yeah. kind of upset that Miami slid. There was a team I was eyeballing. But I think my hesitation with Miami has been, okay, what does the late game offense look like? Sure. Because Jimmy Butler did not have a good clutch year this year. And it's a lot of reliance on Tyler Hero as a shot creator. And he can do it. Mm-hmm. He's going to win six man of the year because of what he's meant to this Heat team offensively. But when it's late in the game, Milwaukee's running Chris Giannis pick and roll. Boston's going with Jason Tatum. Philadelphia can dump it then beat and force a double team. Miami mm-hmm. has Tyler Hero. Or if there's a small guy on the court, Jimmy Butler post-ups, which can work, can get him to the free throw line. But what we've seen in the regular season has not been great. So that's kind of been that hang up for me personally yeah overall i don't get why you don't talk about this team though because they have blended schemes all year long offensively defensively if we talk about what golden state and boston could do miami switching going zone going drop trapping out of stuff they do everything you want defensively and they've put trey young through the ringer through the first two games of this series so they deserve your respect yeah uh give me memphis too memphis okay memphis yeah Give me the Grizzlies. I know it's it's been it's been a wild ride. That's been such a fun series so far. Uh, but I don't know. I can't. They're young, but I, I would not be surprised to see them in the Western Conference Finals. I would not be surprised. And they'll have a puncher's chance. You just never know what can happen once you get there. So, yeah, give me Memphis. All right. I'm going to go with Brooklyn. Yes, they are down 2-0. But as Woo! I mentioned, these first two games have been super close. They've been super yeah. close. I mean, easily could be 1-1 in this series, and I still get KD and Kyrie, and they're going home. And who knows? Ben Simmons coming back for game four. Maybe that'll help. Maybe he'll play 15 or 20 minutes and do something. So I, I feel like there, there's there's room to grow here for the Brooklyn Nets pick. So that, that's an easy one for me. Nikias, you now get your final two picks. Ah, well, this is fun now, isn't it? Okay. Um, one, give me <laughs> Dallas. Yeah. Because I think they are knocking Utah out of here. And if they are then going to be set up um, in the four five, in the 1-5 matchup, I think, with Phoenix, and they don't have Devin Booker, 
and they get Luka Doncic back. Yeah. That could get a little bit dicey. That could get a little bit dicey. So I think I'm going Dallas there. And to close it out, I don't see it with Minnesota. Denver's pretty much done. I guess I go. Sheesh, man. This is. <laughs> it's gotten thin pretty quick. Yeah, gotten thin for real. Um, I guess I'll go Chicago oh, to yeah. close it out. I felt like that was the last decent pick. Yeah. I know. <laughs> that's what I was looking at too. Like if they are able to get if they are able to get past Milwaukee, that's gonna set them up with Boston, who I mean they switch a ton, really good defense, but in theory, Chicago has the shot makers to mm-hmm. beat switches. And if it's Brooklyn somehow, like I'm not trusting well Brooklyn's defense has been better but I don't know like that could be a shot makers fest and if you do get a bad Kyrie series or if you are able to junk it up and force turnovers against the half court attack shot will run out like that I guess a pathway is there I'm talk, trying to talk myself into it lot. <laughs> <laughs> this is why <laughs> this is why they're my fourth pick but that I think Chicago has the best pathway for a run yeah, I think that was a strong final pick because I'm going with the Pelicans purely based on the fact that they're oh. the only one of these teams that is not down in their series currently. They're tied 1-1, and that alone is reason to pick them <laughs> as my final pick. I respect yeah. it. Uh, my final pick will be the Toronto Raptors. Because oh, coming back! From three down! Doc, River, Doc Rivers might outdo himself. Who knows? Who knows? It's It's been... It's been Back three one. Let's see. Let's see. Maybe Toronto's got it in them. If anybody's got it in them, I think it's Toronto of okay. the remaining teams. So that means our final picks: Andrew took Phoenix, Miami, Memphis, Toronto. I've got Golden State, Philly, Brooklyn, New Orleans, and Nikias went Boston, Milwaukee, Dallas, Chicago. And that wraps up our first playoff draft. Sweet, uh, Nikias. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Go listen to the Dunker Spot podcast. Go check out basketballnews.com as well. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, guys. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, and our next guest is Dane Moore from the Dane Moore Podcast covering the Minnesota Timberwolves. Dane was in the building last night for Game 3. Dane, how's it going? It's going good, man. I I thought this would be a more pleasant Timberwolves conversation at two separate (laughs) times during that game, but uh, here we are. I have have this, a lot of radio show hits today. I'm trying to not be uh, super depressing, so let's do it. Well, hey, let's start positive. You were in that building. How did that environment, especially in the first half, compare to other Wolves games you've been at? Honestly, it was bad. I was really disappointed. <laughs> um, I, I was in Memphis and like, so game one, you know, it was like 
It was pretty lively there, but game two in Memphis just felt like a like a well attended regular season game, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, man, it's gonna be like back in Minneapolis, the you know, Thursday night, the weekend, they play Thursday and then Saturday night is like a nine PM start time. And I was like, okay, like Target Center is probably gonna be pretty tuned up. And I don't know if it's an early start time, but it was just kind of like it didn't have that playoff energy that I at least maybe I was expecting too much. I mean, you know, with the Timberwolves, this is only like second playoff appearance in 20 years. So I thought it would be wild, but it was, uh, I mean, it's not like there weren't fans there. It just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't what you think it would be. Really? Um, yeah. That's so that's, interesting. Cause on the TV, like it felt like, like people were comparing it to the old thunder crowds, like the KD Russ crowds. It'll and be through like the that TV, on It felt so loud. Yeah. Okay. Saturday will be, they'll be drunk. It'll be <laughs> yeah. it's 9 PM start. <laughs> Uh, let's stay, let's stay a little positive here still, uh, in game two, Memphis sat Steven Adams the entire second half and seemed to have found something without him in the lineups. Uh, Adams was on the bench to start game three, but unlike the second half of game two, Minnesota was able to jump out to a massive lead. Uh, what are some of the adjustments made from game two to game three that allowed the Wolves to get out early with Adams off the floor? Yeah, well, it was so. In theory, right, you take Adams off the floor so as to play Kyle Anderson to give you more of, if you're the Grizzlies, to give you an advantage guarding Carl Anthony Towns. And while clearly to some degree that worked, Cat just wasn't shooting. He only shot four shots in, in the whole game, which that's a separate topic we can get to. But I thought why it was working so well in, in the first half and while you saw the Wolves' lead blow up to 26 is it gave DeAndre Russell a hiding spot on defense, right? Like he had had to be guarding Desmond Bain in, in games one and games two, which just puts, you know, more of a physical onus on him on both sides of the floor. And, and D'Lo had a terrible first and second game, but in game three gets a chill off ball away from Kyle Anderson. And sure enough, um, he was kind of driving the wolves offense, the, that whole first half as they, as they blew up the big lead. So, that was the Grizzlies. It's like, it's weird. It's one of those counters where I think it, you can make an argument that it worked for the Grizzlies, but at the same time, it did open up some stuff for the Wolves where it got D'Lo going. There was also times where Cat did pick apart the Kyle Anderson double teams that, that were coming. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just one of those bizarre games where I think the Wolves did stuff well. They just choked twice for extended periods of time. So I thought it went both ways. So eventually that game turns, the Grizzlies end the game on a 50 to 13 run. What do you think were the major issues for the Wolves during that fourth quarter period? Just cap foul trouble anxiety. I mean, it's, it's pervasive. It's, it's happened all season, right? Where it's not just this idea of cat foul trouble and literally needing to go sit on the bench. It's that even when he's on the floor and it's the fourth quarter and he has four, there's this anxiety about him picking up another foul that will have to resend him to the bench. And that that obviously hurts them defensively because now he can't be as aggressive, you know, guarding Jaws. Jaw goes to the rim. But on the other side of the floor, like, I don't think enough people know nationally that like Cat's offensive game this year has not been shooting threes. Like, he is not has not been an aggressive three-point shooter. He plays more like Giannis now, where his whole game is sort of like pump and go to the rim. But again, if he's got four or five fouls and he's a big six eleven dude, 
pump and go into the rim is he starts getting afraid that's going to lead to charges on the other side of the ball. So it just kind of has this like snowball downhill thing with cat and foul trouble that produces this anxiety. I think that is pervasive across the team and they just kind of get stuck in it. That's interesting. You brought that up. Cause when I was coming up with trivia questions, it was kind of the first time I noticed how much his three point attempts had dropped from like a few years ago when he was taking mm-hmm. over eight a game. Yeah. I just like hadn't realized that yet. Yeah, no, I mean, well, so Gerson Rosas comes in in 20, they fired Tibbs 2018-19 season. Gerson Rosas comes in and he's like, he's not only the GM, he's total like puppet master. They're doing every single thing he wants. And he decides want to go super small, like doesn't believe in power forwards. We're going to play fast and we're just going to shoot so many threes. And Cat just sat up top, like 10 threes per 100 possessions for, for two years in a row. And then Rosas is out. You bring in Finch, and and Finch has started using him on all three levels. But the most, like, I don't know. When I think about this year, the the biggest image I will have of the Timberwolves' offense is like cat a cat with the ball up top, like pick and pop, catches the ball, pump, sees how the defense reacts to that, and goes to the basket. I mean, he lost a bunch of weight in the off season. He's definitely faster this season, and he. He prefers to go to the basket and try and put it on somebody's head rather than taking the threes. I think he got bored with threes, honestly. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, uh, Towns took four shots in last night's game and had more fouls than field goals made for the second straight game. Uh, After that game, Cat responded with a next question when John Kay asked him (laughs) about his four shots. Uh, What do you think about... Oh, you, okay, yeah. Tell tell us, like, what do you think about how he responded, and then well, you, tell us about you your follow-up. You have to frame it in a way where it doesn't make him sound as bad. I think it doesn't matter. Whoever was going to ask him about his shot total the first time through, he was going to yeah. be short and dismissive of. Of course. Like, yeah. he's probably really mad he only shot four shots in that game. He's never yeah. shot four shots in a basketball game in his career. He has been in foul trouble every game of his career, for the most part, and he's never only shot four shots in a game. Yeah. So... Whatever. It was that way. But this has happened all year where teams, the best way to guard the Wolves, obviously, this season, and it blows my mind whenever teams don't, is putting a small on Cat and bringing a roving double over what off of Vanderbilt. It's very obvious. Some teams mm-hmm. didn't do it, and I don't know what the hell they were thinking. But this year, when like when you do that, that's that's the best way. To, to go against the Wolves. So you see just, you just see Memphis leaning into that. And, and, and what Carl, what I'm trying to get to is what Carl has said when that's happened at other times this season is I'm cool with being a decoy if it gets other guys going. So that was the yep. way I put it to him after the game. And he yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. I don't think it was, he basically, that gave him a little bit of an out. And at some, to some extent too, he's right. It was working. They got two, two, 20 plus point leads <laughs> right. by yeah. doubling him just literally just take pull him out one step square up pass pass you should have Malik Beasley in the corner for a three Jaden McDaniels above the break for an open three it's like yeah. these are generating good looks when he's a quote-unquote decoy but at the same time like and he knows this like making the quote-unquote right play is not the right play every single time when you're the best player on a playoff team in a playoff game like you need to make the quote unquote wrong play, not make the pass and find a way to score without picking up an offensive foul. And that's what Carl definitely did not do in that game last night. It's not the end of the world 
to have a low shot total. The Wolves have won games this season when Cats had a low shot total. But there was times in that game where they needed him to be more than a decoy and pass the ball out. They needed him to take over in the ways that the other superstar centers in this league certainly would have. That goes very different if that's Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Giannis Tenacumpo in those mm-hmm. situations. They just needed more. So you brought up kind of like there's a responsibility on Cat's part to be more aggressive. What about the flip side about the other players on the Wolves getting Cat the ball? Because uh, that it, seems to be an issue as well. What's your suggestion? How would, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, how would you, what would you do? He, Carl doesn't do his work early to get post position. He never has. So, I mean, you could, I could stand there on the perimeter and be like, all right, Alex, post up. If you don't post up and do your work early to get down there, like a post yeah. up's not good there. Mm-hmm. So you're going to want to go pick and pop him and Ant, him and D'Lo, right? That's another one of those options. But if you're in foul trouble or if you don't want to drive to the basket, then you need to pick, pop, and shoot. Carl shot one three in that game. Yeah. I mean, that's on him, right? He got the ball in yeah. those situations. His teammates, the best thing they can do for him is make those threes when he kicks out. It's not like, I don't think Chris Finch isn't being creative with the ways in which they give it to Cat. Cat needs to grab the ball when he's got a guy switched on him at the nail, square up, and score. That's what he did during the season once he got the switch. Like, he just, he didn't do it in this game. So, I don't know. Best thing his teammates can do is make shots because that'll yeah. force them to respect them more. I don't think there's like a, there's not like a button they're not pressing. Carl plays all over the floor, right. and it didn't work anywhere. So, mm-hmm. so that kind of leads into my next question, which are there any obvious adjustments to be made for the Wolves going into game four, or is this more of an issue of the team just needing to execute their game plan, settle down, because they seem to be pretty evenly matched with Memphis? I, I actually think it's a great matchup for the Wolves. I mean, I've been, as we kind of were doing the whole like dance around the 6-7 seed you know, for the past couple months, I was like... I mean, get Memphis, like whatever it is, like get Memphis. You don't want, you don't want Golden State in that. Like they don't have a matchup for Carl. If Carl isn't in foul trouble, like if he isn't all in his head and afraid to drive and play his game, Steven Adams can't guard him. Like, okay, cool. Xavier Tillman, you can make a couple clips of him guarding cat, you know, on Twitter, but he can't guard cat for 48 minutes. Like if cat's not in foul trouble, that's the adjustment. Don't get in foul trouble. Be the best player on the floor. Like, it's not like Ja is, I mean, he was great in the fourth quarter, but I don't know. It's, he's not like some unstoppable force in this series. Like, the, the adjustment is to play better and to, like, not lose your head to the emotion of the game. I mean, it's really, I, I don't know. Like, we, we could talk, like, X's and O's adjustments. It's tricky with this team always that they play Jared Vanderbilt, who can't shoot, so his guy doesn't guard him and then doubles Cat. But the Wolves don't have other power forwards on their team. Because, again, Gerson Rosas did not believe in that position, so they don't have big players. So what do you do? Like, yeah, I don't know. You want to play You, you want to play Jaden McDaniels at the four? Well, okay. He's got to guard Brandon Clark. Like, that's going to be offensive rebounds all day. Like they don't have, they haven't had a professionally built roster the entire season. They've had a professionally talented team with cat mm-hmm. and ant and Delo, And they yeah. found like, they found a bench rotation. Like they do weird stuff with like Jordan McLaughlin plays. And that's like the fourth point guard who plays. And it's, yeah. there's all this stuff, but this, this, this roster 
coming into the season a joke in terms of balance. There isn't. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. look at it. Look at it next mm-hmm. to Memphis. Look at all the big people on their team, and then look at the big people on the Timberwolves team. I mean, Nas Reed is the second biggest guy on this team. That dude is skinny and not tall. I, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just like, so you need to lean into your speed and your strengths if you're the Wolves because you can't really like, you can't do what Memphis has done and been like, okay, Steven Adams, you're just out for the series. Here's three yeah. other big guys we can throw at them. You know, the Wolves yeah. don't have that depth. Well, hopefully, you know, you mentioned Saturday night. Maybe the Wolves crowd shows up big time. The, the players are inspired. They can get a win because they could easily tie this series up, send it back to Memphis for game five. Like this series, as you mentioned, has been so close. It seems like a good matchup. For sure. I mean, so think I'm, about what we'd be talking about if they would have kept one of the 20 point, 20 plus point wins of the multiple 20 plus point wins. We'd oh. be like, okay, Wolves are, they yeah. got it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash MBA show 23 and get started. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right. Well, it is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat. Now, Dane, how this works uh, is a trivia show. Andrew goes against a beat writer for an NBA team. I've come up with eight questions about the Wolves. Uh, so you're going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get points. If you get it wrong, Andrew, have a chance to steal for one point. Uh, where would you like to start? Questions one through eight. Eight. Question number eight. Minnesota. Attempted over 41 three-pointers per game this season. There have only been four other NBA franchises who have attempted at least 40 three-pointers per game in a single season. How many can you name? Now, this one you could get four points on because I'm going to give you one point per correct answer. 
So that you just have to name me NBA franchises who have had at least one season where they attempted at least 43 pointers per game. Houston. Do I have to give you that year? Uh, no, 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 no. Okay. That is correct. That's for one point. Utah this year, right? That is correct for two points. Is there? Is could there be another Houston? Could that be one of uh, the so answers? Or, that okay. was the. There are teams that had multiple years, and Houston was okay. one of them. I'm not mentally prepared for this. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wouldn't be Golden State. They shot a bunch of mid-range in the KD time, right? Is it, is Golden State on there? That is incorrect. That's why uh. I thought this question would be tricky because Golden State has never attempted more than 43 pointers per game. All right, Andrew, you have a chance. You could get two points here. You could tie it up. If you can name the other two teams who have done it. Um, what about Charlotte? Charlotte, that's a great guess, but it's wrong. wrong. Correct answers. Dallas did it. Uh, and yeah. Portland. Pro and Trailblazers. Hmm. Okay, Dane, hmm. you're up 2-0. Andrew, you have control of the board. Where would you like to go next? Number one. Question number one. Carl Anthony Towns scored 60 points in a March game against the Spurs, becoming the first Wolves player to score 60 and the first to have two 50-point games. There are four other Timberwolves who have scored at least 50 points in a game. How many can you name? Another one where you could get four points, Andrew, because you're going to get one point per correct answer. So these are Minnesota Timberwolves who have scored 50 points in a game. There's four of them. Hmm. Oh, uh, Corey Brewer. That is correct for one point. Okay. Gosh, there's like the best. I feel like it's like not the best guys. <laughs> it's not. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I can't. Oh, Dane just gave you a hint. Yeah. There's zero percent chance you're going to get this. Wally Zerbiak. That is incorrect, Andrew. Uh, Dane, you have uh, a chance to steal three points here. Mo Williams. Yes, for one oh, point. Oh, Mo Williams. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, and then I would s- Kevin Love. That is correct. Oh man! Can you get the final one to get to five I, points? I, I don't have this one off the top of my head. I think we go back further into history, which is definitely out of my beat realm. Um, <laughs> J.R. Ryder. J.R. Ryder. Would you believe the correct answer was? Derek Rose. Oh my God, I was at that game. God uh, dang it. Oh, <laughs> Derek Rose. Oh my God, that's so dumb. Oh, oh man. Well, the, <laughs> the good news is you- that was Halloween 2000. Oh, was it really? Yes. Oh, that must have been like one of the first games of the season. Uh, okay, the good news, Dane, you're up four to one and you have control of the board. Ouch. How did I get Mo Williams, Derek? Whatever. I'll do seven. <laughs> okay. Now, before you answer, uh, there's some extra instructions for the question. So, how many Timberwolves have made at least one All-NBA team? Now, before you answer, you get to choose who answers first. So, you can let Andrew answer, and then you can go higher or lower. Or, if you feel like you're pretty confident, you can answer first. The risk, of course, is Andrew might just get it right randomly. Three? Okay. So, Dane has guessed three. Now, Andrew, would you like to go Mm -hmm. higher or lower than that? Uh, I'll say lower. Andrew says lower, so you think it was two or one or zero, perhaps. <laughs> well, what if I told yes. you it was five? KG, Sam Cassell, Cat, Jimmy Butler, and K-Love. So that is two points for Ooh. Dane. Andrew, wow. you're struggling right Sam now. Sam Cassell. I just did, I don't I did not remember Sam Cassell all in You don't remember here. the 2004 all NBA ballot? 
All right. Is he third team, I guess? Yes. Uh, actually, I think it might have been second. I, I forget. I need to oh, go. Oh, they did. They I mean, I don't need to go look. Year. I'm not yeah. going to. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they were good. They were good that year. Okay, Andrew, huh. you're down six to one, but you do have control of the board. This is bad. Uh, number two. Number two. Anthony Edwards averaged 21.3 points per game this season, becoming only the 14th player to average at least 20 points per game before turning 21 years old. Who was the first player in NBA history to achieve that goal? So the first under 21 player to average 20 points or more per game in a season. Oh, boy. Was it Kobe? It was not! Dane, you have a chance okay. to steal for one point. Well, I feel like it, this is a trickier question than, <laughs> than my brain is going yeah. with. Um, yeah. Okay, I want to say LeBron, but I will say Moses Malone. Moses Malone! A great guess, but it is incorrect. Andrew, you're going to be very mad at yourself. Who'd you collect all that peanut butter for? Shaq. It was Shaquille O'Neal. Really? Ouch. Not going to explain the peanut butter thing? That's painful. Uh, When I was in college, Shaq came to Oklahoma City and did a peanut butter food drive here for Mm -hmm. Feed the Children. And the person who brought the most peanut butter got to meet Shaq, fly out to Phoenix for a Suns game. And I collected 535 jars of peanut butter and was the winner. So, so you got to go hang out with the big Shaq tie. <laughs> I did. The big Shaq He leveraged all his possessions to get more peanut butter. I did. I found out that if you're looking for the cheapest peanut butter, it's Aldi sells the cheapest peanut butter. I would actually, people would give me peanut butter. They'd drop it off my doorstep. I'd take it back to Walmart, get the money, go, and then I would go buy out Aldi of all their peanut butter. (laughs) One of the Wolves beat writers this year brought Anthony Edwards a case of chunky peanut butter and gave it to him at the press conference because he said, he said he'd never had chunky peanut butter before, so <laughs> we're basically the same. <laughs> okay, Dane, you're still up six to one, commanding lead, and you have control of the board. Um, I'll take three. Question number three. Anthony Edwards scored 36 points in game one, his first playoff game. Did you know there are only two other 20-year-olds in NBA history who scored 30 or more in their playoff debut? Both were Eastern Conference point guards from the early 2010s. Can you name them? And I'm going to give you one point per correct answer. Derrick Rose. That is correct. Can you get the other one, though? Eastern Conference early 2010s. Allen Iverson? That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Oh, I don't know that he was. I think he was too old for this. I thought I had an answer, but I don't think it's right now. Oh, no. Oh, 2010s. Anyway. Why did I say Iverson? That was stupid. <laughs> well, I glossed over it. You already got a point, you know. Can't be too mad. Was Wade too old? Was Dwayne Wade too old? Is that your guess? That's my guess. He's too uh, old. Yes, he was too old. Wade. Correct answer. Brandon Jennings scored 34. Oh, his yeah, first yeah, playoff yeah. appearance. I remember that now. All right, Andrew, oh. back to you. The comeback starts now. Oh, oh boy. Number four. Number four. Who had the most dunks on the Timberwolves this season? Easy question. <laughs> Easy question, oh, no. Andrew. Just the most dunks. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt? That is correct! Wow. For two Yay. points. All right. So now it is, uh, well, it's seven to three. Dane uh, <laughs> still doing pretty well and has control of the board. Six. All right. 
Why is the Timberwolves mascot named Crunch? Now I'm going to give you five possible reasons. Only one of them is correct. Was he named after the idea of crunch time in a basketball game? Was he picked by the fans as part of a Name the Mascot contest? Was he named after the Crunch Candy Bar? Was he named by one of Glenn Taylor's children who wanted to name the mascot after the family dog? Or was he named after the Big Crunch, a hypothetical scenario for the ultimate fate of the universe? <laughs> I hope it's the last one. <laughs> Those answers are all so dumb. There's not a there's not a good there's not a good answer available there. <laughs> one of them is I, right, apparently, based on an article from the Chicago Tribune I found from 1990. 1990. Okay, Glenn Taylor wasn't the owner then, so we've ruled out the child, oh! the child's dog. Oh wow! Wow! Crunch candy bar. The game master has been figured out here. Crunch candy bar. Is that why? <laughs> That is correct. It was named after the Crunch Candy Bar. There was this article about how the wolves were trying to do branding with everything. And Nestle made like finger puppets of Crunch the Wolf and like sold them. I found one on eBay. You can still go get one if you want it. How much? They were very poor Uh, back then. Ten bucks. Oh, ten bucks. All right, Andrew, this is maybe the worst you've ever been beaten. Uh, It's currently nine to three. However, you can make up yeah, a couple points like to, to, to shrink that lead. Final question. There were 32-man mm-hmm. lineups for the Wolves who played at least 500 minutes together this season. This mm-hmm. player appears in four of the top five two-man lineups when sorted by net rating. D'Angelo Russell. That's correct, Andrew. A great finish, but you still lost convincingly. Nine to five. <laughs> it gets, so D'Lo ended up there over because it was like... Vanderbilt for a while there at the beginning of the year, but it must have. Uh, I guess yeah, he played with he played with them too. The, 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 their two man lineups up was so weird. Like you wouldn't find Cat or Edwards up there at all. It was all yeah. like Pat Bev, Vando, and D'Lo. Man, the Wolves had a really weird year. <laughs> as <far> as <laughs> who was playing? And, oh my god! Yeah. Oh man, uh, go listen to the Dane Moore podcast if you're looking for a good Timberwolves listen. Uh, it, Honestly, if you're an NBA fan, it's a great listen anyway. So, uh, Dane, thanks so much for coming on. And for, I mean, I have not had anybody beat me that bad in trivia all year. So, thank you. Well, I'd like to take credit, but I think, you know, I think you just got in foul trouble. And, you know, you (laughs) lost your head. I don't think I played all that well. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dane. All right, guys. Thanks again to Nikias Duncan and Dane Moore for joining the podcast this week. We really appreciate all of you guys listening. If you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts for The Athletic NBA Show, if you cite the Slam and Jam on your review, we will read the review on the show. We've done that a bunch of times throughout this season. Do that for next week, and we will certainly mention your review on the show. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy the playoffs, and we will talk to you guys again next week.